Today, we have the pleasure of welcoming an accomplished CIO, a former Chime board chair, and for the first time ever, and I'll even mention this again in the future here, our board's history, two-time service on our board, the only person to ever be elected twice on our board. He is absolutely one of the best friends and people just call him buddy. He's, he's, a, he's a true friend to so many of us, George Hickman. He's a 30-year industry veteran who's had three significant academic health system CIO assignments and a former big four health IT consulting partner. Buddy is now serving in a CIO leader role for one of the nation's largest federally qualified health centers. He is, the, like I said, the only two-time elected board member. He's a member of our Chime University faculty. He's been a previous CIO of the Year award winner. I could go on with accolades all day, but it'd probably take up the entire program. And so we'll cut that out for right now. Most importantly, he, one of his greatest attributes to me personally and to our entire industry is his mentorship, his friendship, and overall his caring personality for everyone he meets. Welcome to the program, buddy. Thank you so much, Russ. How are you doing today? <laughs> I'm doing just fine. It's uh, Friday for us as we're recording this, so uh, looking forward to some weekend time. And so really, that's kind of the lead-in for you. Uh, obviously, lots and lots of change going on. Last time we were together uh, was at the beginning of the pandemic on this program. And uh, obviously, we were looking forward and hopefully we're going to knock this thing out quickly. But as you know, so much has happened and changed our industry and personally for you and for, for everyone working here. So first of all, how are you doing personally? I know you've got a little big news in your life that's been going on. So I'd <laughs> hey, love to hear about you first, buddy. Well, personally, uh, well, first of all, my college girls are doing great. Uh, you know, both Hope and Grace, they're, they're busy enjoying their summers, uh, but fall term is just around the corner, uh, inside three weeks away. And I know you're gonna miss summer a lot when that happens. And I bet you're wanting me to make some kind of really big personal announcement on Chime Media right now, aren't you? I'm sure. I'm sure you somehow, some way, you won't get away with not saying it. So, all right. So, so as you know, uh, I married Melanie back in June. Uh, we we got married up at uh, Lake George at the uh, Sagamore Resort, which at the, is at the base of the Adirondacks. Absolutely gorgeous place. We had our our kids. Uh, their uh, respective others and uh, my brother-in-law Jeff with us. We had a wonderful long weekend. Took another uh, little bit of time to chill and then headed out to Scottsdale. I guess what happened when we were in Scottsdale, Russ? You know, there's always a chime connection. I'm getting text from our friend AJ from LK and, uh, and as we're texting about something else, it's like, oh, by the way, I'm in Scottsdale. He goes, okay, we're meeting for drinks tonight. So... <laughs> Well, that is one thing about Chime family. Anywhere you go, you've got a family member there. So that's absolutely I'll true. I'll eat it on your honeymoon, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, congratulations to you and Melanie. Uh, I've met her several times and spent some time with her on a few trips that we were all together on. What an amazing person and uh, blessings to you both during this time. Thanks so much for that. Hey, but that's not the end of the big news. You got a new gig. Tell us a little bit about the new gig. All right, so um, today I'm sitting at my desk in uh, San Diego uh, at San Ysidro Health. Uh, as you mentioned already, San Ysidro Health is uh, one of the nation's top 10 FQHCs. 
It's a remarkable place. Um, I tell you, I'm really enjoying getting to know Kevin Matson, the CEO, uh, Veronica Del, uh, Del Rosa, the uh, uh, effective COO and executive vice president of operations. Uh, it's a remarkable place. And I will tell you this, uh, having spent my life in healthcare and always having done that because of mission commitment, mission commitment in FQHC is remarkable. And I see it every day here. Uh, it's 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 quite a wonderful place to work. I'm doing an interim CIO job, meaning effectively what a CIO does every day. Uh, at the time, at the same time, I'm look, doing like a full assessment of IT, uh, getting us ready for a large EMR transformation, probably at the turn of the year. So you know, the clock's ticking on that. Uh, and I'm going to be recruiting the next CIO. So shameless plug. Uh, if there are folks that are interested uh, in a role here at San Isidro, uh, in particular that CIO job that is now open, uh, I just ask you to ping me so that we can talk. Well, you know, at San Diego, or as they said on the Anchorman, San Diego, what a wonderful place. We all love there. Matter of fact, that's where our fall forum is coming up in a few months. Are you having fun doing it, buddy? I mean, what a big change from big academic healthcare to right on the, I mean, literally on the front lines of taking care of, of, of really some of the uh, most disadvantaged populations, really those in great need in a, in a QHC. Uh, you know, as I, as I said, the, the commitment is remarkable. I saw it day one. Uh, I've had conversations with all the executive team and certainly a, a lot of the, the, of the folks in IT. I went out to two of the clinics this week um, it's just very warm and touching to see what goes on in this underserved community and how responsive and caring the caregivers are. You know, how many times have you had blood drawn, Russ? Any idea? Probably hundreds. Probably, probably hundreds and hundreds. Yeah, me too. Uh, I have I had an experience with the uh, phlebotomist I've never had in, in terms of her sensitivity, and maybe others have had this, but uh, it struck me. I told Melanie about it. She's a nurse. Uh, after the stick, you know, of course, which was a one-timer, which I, I, I forever appreciate, instead of a piece of gauze and a tap, tape, tape wrap around my arm, she goes, oh, you got a lot of hair on your arm. She took out that nice sports wrap, <laughs> did, did the wrap on my arm, then proceeded to roll down my sleeve and button my buttons on my shirt for me and says, are we all good here? How could I not be? Very, very touching group of people. In every way. Wow, that's that is absolutely care at the front. Wow, great for you. We can't wait to see you out there in in a few months for the fall forum. But obviously, we got an industry that's uh, going through a lot of change too. Uh, you know, what what are kind of your impression? What do you think is going on now that we're almost eighteen months into this pandemic? Kind of give an assessment of where you think the industry is. Yeah, I remember a conversation last year, Russ, and I, and and a lot of us were speculating. Perhaps this thing would be settled down by the end of summer of 2021, as, as we know it's not. Uh, we talked about then it was going to all be about vaccination and behavior, masking, social distancing, hand hygiene, and vaccine. Uh, those were the formula. Uh, I think we took the eye off the, off the ball too soon. And of course, we've had some resistance to vaccinations. Uh, and as a result, as we all know, we're seeing a rise in cases uh, in various places throughout the country and certainly the world, and that includes San Diego County. 
Uh, so our work with COVID-19, especially Delta variant, whatever variants follow, is just simply not done. Yeah, you, you actually sent, uh, sent my wife, Kathy, and I both a copy of a book. It was The Great Influenza, which was all about the, the 1918 influenza pandemic. And it's interesting reading that book. Um, basically, everything that's happened was predicted in that book, almost to the letter, including that if we didn't do the right things, especially in the middle of the pandemic, it would get extended, which, boy, everything they said in there is right. Very true. Sort of makes you wonder why certain cultures have been masking for a long time. Perhaps yeah. these things happened in their cultures and they learned, never left the practice. Yeah, well, hopefully we're learning. Let's just go with that. So probably a perfect transition to our next question here, which is, obviously you just went through a transition, but so many of our Chime members and Chime Foundation members, our vendor partners, have been making career and personal transitions during this time. We've seen record retirements, and that's not just health IT. I talked to nursing organizations and physician organizations and finance organizations, and they're seeing record retirements and job changes. And so any advice for you on making transitions and the fact that you're right in the middle of one and, and are seeing it firsthand, and, you know, I wouldn't be a great uh, or wouldn't be a, a, a faculty member of our boot camps and our Chime University stuff. I didn't ask you the question because we always teach this is, you know, how are you approaching your first 90 days? You know, this could be a, uh, a boot camp segment. <laughs> uh, <laughs> as you know. Maybe we can spend some real time on this, but I'll offer a few thoughts. Thanks for asking. You know, I could tell you, you know, go read Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's book on death and dying. C.S. Lewis's book on a grief observed. Uh, maybe William Bridges' books on transitions, a host of other readings that, that sort of help you introspect. My advice is that don't wait until you're in a transition. Read those books now. Learn now. And then if you need to reread them, go back and reflect and, and reread them later. But prepare yourself because there are going to be transitions. That's the way life works. Um, change and transition are not new. Everyone experiences them differently, though. So as the first 90 days, if you're going to make a big change, whether it's by your decision or not, and frankly, you know, if it's your decision, you get to spend a lot more time preparing yourself. If it's not, you must react to the decision. So it's okay to give yourself a few days, sit and reflect and, and think about life in general at the same time don't get lost in your head talk to your friends your family your minister and god if you have a spiritual life and talk to your mentors and colleagues that have gone through this before they all know the road they truly understand it especially uh, if if they've experienced more than once i'm surprised at how many cios i know who have gone through more than one a CIO transition, uh, sometimes of their choice, but many times of not of the choice at all, or because of a circumstance, especially with leadership change. That seems to be the common thing. And uh, given those folks that have been there before and know the road, you know, I promise you what I've seen is that they'll lift you up. Uh, then, like any good CIO, lay out a plan. You know, a plan that will help you to find what you want to do next. Hopefully, 
that some things that you want to do will match with someone else is looking for you to do it next. If you're not retiring, and even for many of our colleagues who are retired, hopefully that's something that you want to do next matches with someone who wants you to do it and will also pay you for it. And then get busy networking. I mean, that's, that's the big thing. Network, use your network. You know, the plan should be about what you really want to do because when you find yourself at a transition, you know, it might be that you have a sense that you need to jump to the next thing. And if you have the ability to not have to do that for, for whatever reasons, give yourself time, figure out what you really want to do, what you enjoy doing, what you're good at, and fits with what the rest of what makes you centered and joyful. That includes figuring it out with your family. Well, buddy, I've watched you during these last uh, couple of months and you are definitely a role model for this. And uh, for any of our listeners out there, I hate to volunteer more work for buddy, but uh, if you need a, if you need a person to talk to, he is definitely your guy. And so uh, I, that's great wisdom. We're all going to make transitions. I always say there is definitely an expiration date for me in this job. I just don't know what it is. It could be 10 months from now, 10 years from now, who knows what it might be, but we all have expiration dates on us, especially in our position. So we should all prepare for that. So that's a great wisdom, buddy. On that same note of change, uh, let's just, just jump into this part of this. We've obviously seen the whole world went back home that could possibly go home. People shifted to remote working that have never done this before. Uh, and I've talked to a lot of our Chime members and others in the industry they're still trying to figure this out. I mean, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Some people are being coming back to the office. Some people are going more remote than they've ever gone, just making decisions to close offices down. You know, with your work uh, in your previous position and now looking there and you trying to figure out remote working, you know, any wisdom you can share on how to make remote working the most positive experience and get results that, that are needed for the organization? So in my life's work experience, Russ, I was a consultant for 12 years. And in that role, I mostly traveled the U.S., but I also traveled the world. I did work in Singapore. I did work in the U.K. Um, so I lived a life that was remote. However, and, and, I, and I'd offer with that, it's, it's manageable, and you can manage people remotely. But there was a difference. The difference was being remote didn't mean being isolated and remote. It meant you were remote from an office and a group of people that were core, but you were with other people. A lot of healthcare organizations seem to have resisted going there for the workforce for various reasons. Sometimes uh, you might hear the argument, well, you know, our caregivers can't go remote and work remotely and work from home. Therefore, to have parity, maybe everybody needs to be in the office. I've seen some others recognize the metropolitan areas that going remote was a strategy to downsize some of the office space costs. And so they would go through a lot of learning to make people make sure people were capable of working remote and that managers were equally capable of leading and managing. Uh, I've, I've seen circumstances where people needed remote workers because of uh, of being able to recruit and retain in a region. And they were willing to accept that as a 
as a compromise. But my biggest thought on remote is this. I mean, we, we were forced to remote uh, in this case, and in this case, to me, remote meant in some senses feeling a bit isolated. And people who did remote well also put principles and practices in place so that there would not be isolation. There would be a lot of connectedness. So my advice around remote is whenever possible, go hybrid. In other words, have the activity be remote that needs to be remote. And if that means uh, that we have to be out of the offices for times, connected via the various means of, of, of uh, uh, media that, that we're all using without naming all the brands, uh, that's fine. But I would have the expectation that you know cameras are on, mics are muted and unmuted as necessary, and everybody's active and engaged. And the meetings run in the same way as if you were in the room uh, as much as you can make that experience feel that way. Then you add things to that to, to complement the experience, just like if you were uh, working together. Uh, and that might, might mean uh, you know regular check-ins, uh, use of uh, IM chat functions and so on, so there can be impromptu dialogue between the team and so on. But you heard me say hybrid. If the circumstance at all allows that you can be in the office, go to the office. You know, we were created to be social beings, and without that human touch, human contact, and so on, we're, we, we have the chance to become something else. And, uh, and there's just no substitution for being able to be face-to-face. -face. Uh, I, I know for one, as, as we have seen opening up, whether at work or even um, you know, among some of our colleagues, us around the country, you know, CIOs being able to gather and get, to, you know, get get in a room and have a dialogue. Uh, there is remarkable um, appreciation of that in a way uh, that helps us see that maybe we took it for granted all along. Uh, so wherever possible, be hybrid. Well, that's great. I love that little quote at the very beginning. Remote does not mean isolated. That's one I will. Uh... I'm going to use time and time again. So let's talk about a little bit about our current situation in this latest round of COVID increased numbers. And you now it's obvious that it's the unvaccinated population that's the primary um, number driver in this, that I think the number earlier this week was over 97% of those hospitalized have not been vaccinated. And it's obviously something we've got to focus on, but in particular, you know, for you working in, in, in the organization you do, some of the most vulnerable, some of the most at risk populations, it's a lot of times don't get all the care or the education they need about healthcare. You know, how do we help, uh, I don't want to use the word incentivize, educate and, and encourage people to get vaccinated. I'd love to hear if your organization in particular has a specific approach that you all are trying to figure out to really engage people. Well, the question is truly a, a, a clinician leadership question, but I'll, I'll give it my best uh, lay leader answer uh, and do the best I can with it, Russ. I, I would say I'm, I'm uh, surprised actually that there is a minority of clinicians, uh, caregivers, who have not gotten the vaccination. And uh, that honestly makes me sad given they have the ability to understand uh, the cause and the need to get there. 
and I'm not speaking about the organization I'm in, I'm speaking about what I happen to know about the industry on the whole and people in some various geographies that I have personal relationships with. Healthcare workers know that this virus kills. Uh, healthcare workers become exhausted from treating this virus. The, whether it's you know, patient care delivery directly and the, the changes in approach, the energy level, uh, the constant changing of PPD, the management of social circumstances that you know, no human should have to bear and no caregiver should have to manage. You know, the standing up of care delivery and PPD enablement, uh, isolation of care and technologies and so on. The standing up of vaccination clinics the sitting in tents in, in the heat, waiting on people to show up. Um, you know, all of this stuff is, uh, is exhausting. And for those doing it, it's remarkably unselfish. At the same time, it's no wonder the last couple of weeks we've seen so many care professionals showing up in the media to share their personal feelings with regards to messages of exhaustion and sometimes, unfortunately, human anger, human resentment. You know, somehow vaccines have become a political issue early on. And early on, we didn't have good role models, and today we still don't necessarily have good role models about us. You know, vaccinations are a matter of public health. Uh, and as a non-clinician, I'll just say as a kid, no one asked me or my parents whether or not I was going to receive my smallpox, TB, or tetanus vaccines. I can remember either getting those in the doctor's office or actually in the public school system, public health nurses showing up at the schools and everybody getting lined up. Russ, you're a military guy. You know, so was my dad, my dad, my brother, and a host of, of so many friends of mine who have had countless vaccines, maybe vaccines for the same thing, uh, for all kinds of other reasons, as you know. And all I can say to you guys is, uh, and gals, thank you, uh, because you've helped us understand, or you've helped others understand more about what needs to happen with the general population, whether whether or not you chose that course, you gave yourself to that course. Something, something's happened with us um, as a nation, and we need to just get centered and somehow figure out how to be unselfish again so that we can be strong and conquer this thing called COVID-19. And that, that's going to require us to, to do the basics that we understood at the end of 2019 and early 2020, which is wash your hands, wear a mask, social distance, get your vaccination. Well, absolutely. It's going to require leadership. So let's talk about one of the real positives. And, and, and again, not discounting the horrific nature of this pandemic, the deaths and the hurt in our society. But there are also silver linings in that. And that's the leadership we saw in healthcare and in many places, in communities, 
But for you and I, the world you and I live in every single day, our, our Chime community, our, the people we get to lean on, you know, we've been talking about this concept of the emerging next level CIO leader. What we, we kind of coined many years ago with a formula and a kind of a format, the 3.0 leader, that transformational, that innovative, that revolutionary leader that was gonna step up and help organizations change, meet big issues. Little did we know that the pandemic would hit early last year and that would be one of the reasons to rise. And you're one of those people, buddy. When I, when I give examples of, of those CIO 3.0 leaders that are willing to jump up and do whatever necessary, including sometimes making people mad because you question the status quo. You know, I, I'd love to hear some of your thoughts on 3.0 and, and some of the change that's we're, we're seeing really these great leaders uh, display in our industry right now. <laughs> uh, Russ, I appreciate the, the compliment. I, I will tell you, when you use the word revolutionary, I always start twitching because I think of insurrection. I, I, <laughs> I don't think they're. Um, but as for the other traits, yes, I mean, if you're going to be the 3.0 leader, you are going to. Uh, uh, speak out at times in ways that, that, that some will embrace and some won't. Some won't. In fact, if you're going to be a leader, you're going to do that. And uh, that isn't always uh, uh, something that, that uh, goes well. It just needs to always be well-placed, or at least as well-placed as you can make it. But if, you're, if you want to be a 3.0 transformational leader, that means you are going to have a view and an opinion. And those views and opinions are going to be forward you're going to require at times uh, that you uh, be transformational, innovative, as you've suggested. You'll have to be an educator. You'll have to be incisive. Sometimes you'll have to be a social worker. Uh, we need to move more to 3.0 leaders in, in healthcare as to IT and digital health. Uh, to me, it seems the difference in, in the 2.0 and the 3.0 leader, it's about it is about a different form of leadership trait, scale, balancing risk and investment to the organization's abilities to balance risk and investment and having that insight and the ability to articulate it. Understanding whether or not the business or clinical leader sitting beside you can first comprehend and second, pull off the transformational change that you're talking about and figure out, if you have to, the ways uh, that you're going to have to compensate for that with, with other people. And then there's, of course, always reading the culture. The culture must want a 3.0 leader uh, because if the culture can't embrace it, uh, and if the 3.0 leader can't sort of pull on the threads of culture enough to start stretching it, uh, because that's all you can do, you can't change it, but maybe you can pull it along, uh, you're going to find some recoil and your organization will settle back in the 2.0. And honestly, I, you know, I believe there's still some 1.0 out there, and there, there are some leaders who yet don't understand uh, outside of IT what it takes to really lead digital health as other leaders in the organization and hence might might recoil and want to see the uh, IT leader's job become a tactical job again, a 1.0, 2.0 job, 
subject to direction setting otherwise, uh, and so on. So it, it is also about the culture and the leadership team and that, that collective being able to uh, appreciate what it means to have the 3.0 leader evolve. Yeah, well, thank you for all the work you did. Um, there's no doubt that uh, with you and so many other leaders in healthcare, we wouldn't have made the great progress we have made uh, during this period of time, especially during this pandemic. And so, you know, we don't normally yeah. talk about, oh, go ahead, please, buddy. Yeah, I was just gonna say a comment um, to, to support what you just said. I, you know, the, the CIO boot camp oftentimes is still misunderstood because so many folks hear the term uh, you know, whether CIO University, CIO Bootcamp, and the mental model goes to the role and the teaching of the role. You and I know this is this this uh, academy, this boot camp university we have, and what we do with CMIOs and others is all about leadership development. And that is where we have the opportunity to talk about what you just asked me about and, and try to make real, uh, by case example and otherwise, what 3.0 is about so that we indeed do create uh, the kind of critical mass in, in our IT leaders in this industry to help the transformation of the industry on the whole. So we're also at, we're not just at this leadership kind of crossroads, we're also at this technology crossroads. And, you know, I'll use that word again that, that maybe gives you a little bit of a little bit of angst. And that's OK. It's this, this concept of revolution. And, you know, so many even economists are talking about we're moving to the fourth economic revolution. We're leaving the information age and moving into the next age, which often isn't named until much later in a process. I refer to it as the AI age because I don't know what else to call it. But we're moving into this really advanced world. And technology and healthcare has such a potential to make real quality of life, real improvements in outcomes, and maybe even real improvements in avoidance of healthcare. And there's so many words I could throw out, buddy. You know, that we've got AI and machine learning and robotics and quantum computing and you know, designer individualized medicine. And I could go on and on and on and on, even down to things like drones and self-driving cars. You know, what gets you excited about? I mean, it could be anything coming up whether it be the impact of the technology what's what's one or two things maybe that you just go wow, i just can't wait to see this occur or or the outcome that could happen from that well you know my answer sort of falls in a couple of, of places and i and, and i don't want to get into the specifics of the technologies uh but i'll be maybe general about the the two places i land with with that question the first is that the technologies you named are no longer hype. A decade ago, we were hearing these technologies. We had social scientists and economists and technologists and others putting labels on it then, but it was hype. We were talking about things that were still in development, early development, the promise they would have as though the promise was coming tomorrow, trying to build product, announce product, engage people in product way before product had the capability of delivering, especially delivering in what you and I might call a production state, you know, the real world of being able to use it, maintain it, have it be reliable, have it be something that's supportable, something that you continue to advance and not be unmaintainable 
in the sense of the care and feeding. And that was the case 10 years ago, but now we're really seeing these things come about. Um, and that, that to me is, is very promising. So that, that means, you know, if, if you're sitting in a position to make a decision around this stuff, you, you got to do that with a careful eye of what is reality. Um, and, and thus could fit into the portfolio of the things your organization is doing. And in a way that, you know, your organization can afford it because some can't and some can. Those that can't need to wait and let others that can advance it until it becomes even more production real. And uh, I, I believe that we are going to see some significant differences across these next several years. The, the second thought is this. You know, you have some technology developers who are bringing together a lot of ideas and those ideas of the collective technologies and how they cooperate are also very exciting. What excites me is when those developing it, especially in healthcare, are doing it because they remain connected to the commission to, to the missions of what we're doing. And you know, I'm sure I sound altruistic, but I could name several leaders that I know that want to see those things come about, not for the sake of yeah, building up a company quickly, uh, getting monetary backing behind it, and then flipping it. Uh, but they're really serious about making a difference in the communities they serve. We could name a couple of folks with uh, you, you and I between us, uh, Russ, that we know that that's how they're programmed, and there are there are people that work at significant scale. Uh, in the sense of what they've been doing, and it just happens to be that they've also uh, derived wealth from that. Uh, I can also, for myself, name smaller companies that, uh, in the same way, uh, are very uh, social-minded and so on. I, you know, one one gentleman I know, uh, after uh, building a company, selling it. Uh, being such that he really could have sat back and retired uh, and just continued to invest, thought long and hard about what he wanted to do next and decided because of uh, personal, personal and familial experiences that he wanted to do something to help uh, the circumstance of behavioral health, particularly be behavioral health of, let's say, of a minor or, or moderate uh, anxiety and depression nature. Um, where we all know that that population is remarkably underserved in the U.S. anymore. Uh, the funding's not there to take care of the population. And especially uh, with uh, the younger generation that's coming up, the high school, college-age kids today, and just post-college, we might have uh, a higher population at risk for that type of anxiety and depression. Uh, so he said about com combining uh, a number of care protocols that uh, uh, he worked uh, with a psychiatrist uh, uh, in understanding and, and bringing to the forefront things that were available, uh, adding to that capabilities of AI pattern recognition and the integration of a social media platform so that he could bring forward a product to medicine, general medicine, internal medicine offices, uh, and uh, pediatrics offices, that product being able then to be extended on a mobile platform to the patient 
for them to have a way to do an initial intake and then a constant interaction uh, to manage the signs and symptoms of the anxiety and depression along with uh, other treatments. And he's been able to show uh, remarkable outcomes within a very short period of time. And I don't want to speculate on the period of time based on uh, you do need a little time to, for that type of patient here to show that you really have made a difference. Uh, but that difference gets made and then the pattern has continued even after a short period of time to show that a difference is made. And, and, and I would say, knowing him, that developer, he is all about the difference that he's making right now and wants to be able to continue to scale the product for that cause. Uh, and, it, and it uses the technologies that we're talking about. Couldn't have done this in the way that he's doing it on those forms of platforms 10 years ago. Well, you know, it's interesting. People say, isn't it cool that we got these new technologies like AI and the first conference at Dartmouth on AI was in 1957. So that puts things in a little bit of perspective. We've been working on this AI thing for a little while. This isn't the new flash in the pan. I appreciate that approach. Well, with our, with our time for our last question, buddy, uh, this is where I'm just going to draw on you as the, as the counselor, the social worker, the friend, the mentor, uh, not just to me, which you've been uh, unbelievable in for years and years and years and decades, but really to a whole industry. And uh, you know my wife well enough to know she's far better than my uh, better half, probably better three quarters. But she's coined a phrase now, quit calling them the next generation, call them the now generation because they're here. They're now, they're not waiting. Uh, they're ready to move. They're ready to advance. We see them in all of our programs that we're teaching college graduates and other things. But it's always a tough route. All of us had our own little circuitous routes to get where we are today. Just a few thoughts kind of wrapping up our time for that now generation, and maybe hopefully everybody will start calling it that, uh, this now generation that's uh, really ripe for taking on roles and leadership in our industry. You're right about Kathy. In fact, she might be, she might be 90% right. And she, 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 probably is. she probably is. She is amazing. She's a saintly person for sure. Um, well, my advice sounds something like this. Be patient. Take time to take a long figurative look at yourself. Reflect on what you see. Understand who you are and what makes you what you are. What makes you who you are. Look in the figurative mirror and ask yourself if you're pleased by what your mind's eye sees. Talk to your closest friends and colleagues in intimate and transparent ways and give them the permission to be objective, figurative mirrors. We sometimes look to our friends to only support us, but we can grow more when we let them be objective mirrors. Then decide what, if anything, you want to do differently. You're anxious to advance your career, that, that's great. Uh, as I heard Stephen Covey once say, you know, as one of my uh, my heroes, uh, Russ. Sometimes you work real hard to climb the ladder. You get to the top of the ladder, you look across, and you realize you're on the wrong ladder. 
So decide if anything, what you might want to do differently. Decide if you have come to understand that you have likely some very unique gifts that you know about. Sarah would call them, Sarah Richardson would call them your superpowers. Um, sometimes you don't recognize what your superpowers are and those friends around you, those colleagues around you might be able to help you understand what they are. And they might also help you understand something from the past, what's red kryptonite to you as well. Then commit yourself. You know, commit yourself to what you decide you want to do in a, in a greater and higher place. Um, commit that to those close to you and have them react. Uh, and again, help you understand what you don't understand about where you're headed. And then with that, don't be fragile. Don't be afraid and understand most of all that you deserve happiness and mostly there are moments where you should, based on the choices you make, understand real joy. If you're finding that experience, then you're on the right path. You know, I, I recently walked through Epic or Epcot, not Epic, Epcot, and I saw a quote and it was off to the side in a, one of the, the exhibits that nobody goes to except for when it's 100 degrees there. And it's kind of the history of the making of, of Disney World. And there was a quote from Walt Disney and, he, and it was, and I'm paraphrasing because I don't have it exactly right. He said, it's not the what in life, but the who in life that creates joy. And so, buddy, on behalf of all of our Chime membership of, of our industry, you're one of those people that brings joy. And we just want to thank you for the hard work you've done at your previous organizations and are now doing in San Diego. Uh, you and so many in our industry are amazing heroes, and thank you for your sacrifice and service. Russ, uh, you're much too kind, and I offer you my best. I'm so proud to be my friend. We would like to thank you, our audience, for joining us for this episode of our Digital Health Leaders podcast. As always, you can visit our website at chimecentral.org forward slash media or Apple or Spotify to listen to any of our programs. So for now, please stay vigilant. Please stay safe during these tough times. If you haven't, please strongly consider getting vaccinated. It's not just for you, but for the people around you that you care about. Take care and God bless. This episode of our Digital Health Leaders Program is brought to you by LK, some of our true friends in our Chime Foundation. Thank you for all your support.